0: we are live a little bit early for once. Usually I'm a few minutes late, it seems, lately at least. Uh, Technology and problems related to getting people connected. But today I'm early and uh, I'm ready, man. I'm ready. It's actually gorgeous outside right now. So I'm wanting to go out there and do some work. And I thought I got to put a podcast out there first. So uh, I uh, recorded earlier today a podcast with Dr. Benjamin Eswine, who's a Reformation historian on the political or public theology of the reformers that's going to be coming out hopefully tomorrow. And, uh, that that'll be fascinating for some of you, especially those who care about that kind of thing like history. And, uh, and so I'm looking forward to that. Um, but, uh, it's, I hope whatever you're doing this weekend, I hope it's great. I hope you have a great Lord's day, uh, in case I don't get to record another podcast until next week. Um, wanted to, to make a few announcements before we get started on the topics for this particular podcast. So, first things first, I want to show you what's been going on uh, at TruthScript. You can actually now go to truthscript.com. Now, we're this is somewhat of a soft launch, uh, we, we're still get, getting some kinks worked out, but you can go there. You can go to truthscript.com. You can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, TruthScript. It's it's easy to to search for it and find it. And you will see articles. There's already four articles posted on the website. Uh, There's an about section will give you an idea of what the vision is for TruthScript, uh, the statement of faith. And you can go to events as well. Uh, Conferences uh, is the tab. And you can see um, the Be Not Conformed conference coming up in DeForest, Wisconsin on June 10th. And then September 21st to 24th in Speculator, New York, the Overcoming Evil Men's Conference. Both of these conferences, uh, sponsored and uh, in part due to the existence of TruthScript, and we're hoping that we're going to put a lot more resources and uh, information here. This isn't about me. This is, in fact, I'm not even on the board for TruthScript, um, but I, I I have helped publicize this, and and we just need a we need an alternative, guys, to the Gospel Coalition. We need an alternative, and um, part of the thinking behind this, I'll just give you a, a, a little behind the scenes, is that the Gospel Coalition has done something very unique. Let me go back in time just r- briefly, give you a brief history of, of what we were thinking and why I think the Gospel Coalition um, is successful in, in part. Uh, during the 1970s, there were many observers of evangelicalism who thought, you know what, evangelicals are going to go left you get the Chicago declaration, the Lazane covenant, you got Jimmy Carter being elected. They're going left. You got Jim Wallace and sojourners and Ron Sider and Wes Granberg, Michelson, and all, all the people I wrote about in my book, uh, social justice goes to church. And then what happened in the eighties, Ronald Reagan, religious, right, Jerry Falwell, Pat Robertson, focus on the family. What, how did that work? What, how did overnight this Well, it was a populist movement. It wasn't an academic movement. It didn't start in the seminaries. It, it, it was a populist movement. There was something already present in the pews. People believed certain things, and they knew murder was wrong, even if it's murdering babies, it's still wrong. Uh, they knew that. Uh, I mean, that was one of the main things. Uh, but they knew that um, some of the sexual degeneracy that was starting to creep into the country was wrong. There were some re- really basic things, and they got together. They mobilized politically for it, but there was also resources that were aimed at families at giving them practical advice, giving them information that would help make their lives better, whether there were progressives in charge or not, that they could apply God's law in the home. And, um, they made use of new media, uh, new media at that time being television. They, the television preachers were behind a lot of this. Now the internet comes along and when the internet comes along, who, benefits from that technology more well it wasn't people on the right politically as much as it was on the left and it was evangelicals on the left through organizations like the gospel coalition desiring god now i say on the left i mean i'm not saying that they're on the hard left at all but they're when it, on an evangelical standard they would have been less on the religious right we'll say and uh those are the people that, and more academic minded uh many of them uh reformed in their soteriology they ended up making great use of the new technologies that are out there and in fact I'm making great use of new technologies that are out there, podcasts, YouTube videos, all of that. So um, am I part of that? I I don't I mean, I'm not really institutional, but um, and I came much later as a reaction to what was happening. But I'd say the the pioneers were people that were not as much on the right. They weren't they weren't part of the religious right. At least that wasn't part of their uh, they, they were they were okay shedding that if they had to. And they influenced. Christians to go more towards the left. And the way they did it was very similar to the way that I think the religious right functioned in the eighties. They, they spoke to the housewife outside of Dallas, who's living a middle-class existence. They gave articles. I mean, overwhelmingly, I think the people who read gospel coalition are women. Uh, they, they gave resources to people in these areas that resources that they wouldn't have looked or, or I should say they they tapped into a potential into people that would would not normally be attracted to quote unquote discernment ministries or polemics or uh let's say to um exe- deep exegetical content which is mostly what we have on the right we have exegesis we have some some deep theology and we have uh some polemics and and I've been more i i suppose uh, more in the polemics camp of just having a platform where I'm like, Hey, something's going wrong. We got to talk about this. And I still do that. And it's so important and we need that. But, um, it, it just became clear, you know what? We need some short, accessible, current, just good information that doesn't require a lot of complicated knowledge or backstory for people who just don't have a lot of time. And they're, they're trying to hold it together with the kids and with the family. And they just want to know, Hey, that new movie that came out as a Christian, you know, is that, what do I need to be concerned about? Is that a good thing to go see? Uh, hey, should I spank my kids? I mean, some basic questions are now being asked um, and and they want the answer. Right. And um, and so that was part of the thinking behind TrueScript is we we have to get into these realms where uh, we're talking about things that are that really apply directly to people's everyday lives in, in ways that are easily consumable for them. So. Um, excited about that. I'll, I'll share more as time goes on. There's no way to donate yet, but we will have that available. And look, it's going to be as big or as little as God wants it to be. So, if you want to see alternatives to the Gospel Coalition and some of the conferences that are out there, then uh, you know TrueScript is going to be the place that you can, if you want to donate your money to a 501c3, we'll take it and we'll we'll put on the uh, events and put out the resources that uh, you've been wanting for a lot of years. So I'll I'll have more information on that coming up. Don't have it all uh, right uh, now, but I do need to get to the topics of the day. And so I I think um, with that said, we're going to start here. I've uh, created a little slideshow. If you're um, a patron, you'll have access to this. But um, I want to start, uh, I guess, with this tweet. This is from James Lindsay. And uh, I don't know if these people all need an introduction, but some of you, if you haven't heard of James Lindsay, he is, according to him, he's an atheist. He's uh, been active in atheism in the movement, but I, my understanding goes back years. I don't know if he's still that active in it, but uh, he was he was somewhat known for that. And he, though, uh, went hard anti-woke, wrote, wrote a book, uh, actually have the book. I I've read like maybe Five pages. I think I think I got five pages in and then I, I just I was like, I, I there's a lot of good stuff in here, but um um I, I I can't really I I just knew I could get better information from other places and that and that's what I was doing when I was researching for my books and stuff. Um not trying to take anything away from James Lindsay. He had some good materials. I think um I watched the, the only video I watched of him, yeah, the only video I've ever watched of him is the Trojan horse number one Trojan horse video. That he did so um my, my most of i mean i I'm familiar with him, I've seen his tweets i've I've actually met him in person uh I shared a meal with him once um I mean i, I got along with him fine I, I I thought you know he was nice enough to me and uh I know others have really greatly benefited from some of his exposure and his explanation of what's going on with woke theology or the or actually, well it is theology but the, the woke philosophy but um you know, personally, I've I've always found the atheism was a little bit of a stumbling block for me, and I and I, I thought it made his critiques uh, l- less potent than they could have been, and um and that's why part of the reason I wrote the book Christianity and Social Justice: Religions and Conflict I wanted something for Christians, and I wanted something th- that I thought critiqued social justice in a way that was just more consistent with a biblical ethic, biblical hierarchy, all of that. So, um, you know, that's where I'm coming from. I'm a Christian. He's an atheist. I mean, this <laughs> shouldn't really be controversial, right? But, uh, somehow it, it, it is. And, and, and so this is the first thing I want to start with. This, um, was from the 13th. So about a week ago, almost, and this got people's eyebrows raised, some of them, and this, this created a split. It's interesting. Even pr- some Christians, uh, on James Lindsay's side about this, but he posted this meme for those who are listening. It, it has a person falling in the water and they have a ball and chain, uh, attached to them. And the ball on the chain says TQ and the person is LGB. So the LGBTQ movement, right? It's saying that the LGB, LGB people, lesbian, gay, bi people, I guess, are, are th- people who think they're that are being, uh, they're being sunk they're being destroyed they're being uh undermined by transgender and queer and and that and that's what's going on right and of course as i think not just christians but just consistent thinkers who can who know history and can see the signs of the times and just kind of observe we know that that's not really the case that the, the whole thing is uh, is is part of the ball <laughs> the whole thing Lead And you may say this is the slippery slope fallacy. It's, it's a slippery slope fallacy if you say things are necessarily connected. If, if you say, well, um, because A happened, B must necessarily happen. But if you say that A happened and A happened with B reasoning and C is using B reasoning, so therefore uh, C will also happen, that's not a fallacy. And that's what's happening in the critiques that I and others are making, where we're saying, look, uh, the reasoning used to push homosexuality, normalize homosexual marriage, all of that throughout the 90s and early 2000s and up until the Obergefell decision undermined the whole concept of the nuclear family, the whole idea of the family. It destroyed the idea of unique genders, too. You say, well, there's homosexuals who, who believe there's genders. Yeah, I know. But I'm saying that the logic they employed, though, to get there was they had to say, well, you know what? There isn't this complementary role of woman and man that's meant to come together in a marriage to produce children. And that, that's not what it is. It's actually it, it's just love. Love is the important thing. That's the glue that holds marriages together. And so we can have two people of the same gender get married, and, and that should be perfectly fine. Uh, because after all, it's just love. What does that do? It downplays at the very least, but it destroys the whole idea of complementary roles. That's all it does. It, it, it destroys the hierarchy that exists that God baked into creation, at least in the minds of people. It's still, hierarchy's still there. It's just, in the and I, I mean by hierarchy, I, I'm saying that the complementary uh, roles here, that there's uh, ways in which a, a husband leads their men are typically stronger, they uh, provide their, I mean th- these things are kind of basic they're, they shouldn't have to be argued for, but uh, women are, are more nurturing. they uh, are maternal, we even say uh, as a uh, designation of a, a certain bedside manner that people have, they're maternal. women are equipped differently than men. and this, this is controversial now, of course, but this was all being attacked a long time ago. In fact, I would argue you could even go back further to things like no fault divorce and say that this was a weakening of of marriage, uh, of the, the very fabric that holds our civilization together. And And on what basis? That's the whole question you have to ask. The whole question is on what basis? What's the reasoning used to undermine these institutions and these creation realities? Well, the reasoning is it's, uh, it's because uh, uh, love is love. <laughs> it's because uh, th- what actually matters is the feelings that you have inside of you that you get when you interact with someone in a social circumstance, not what the created order is. And, that, and that's the whole issue is uh, deviating from the created order to, as a collective society, create our own order because we want something that's different than the world that God made. Now, if you start going down this path, yeah, it's no surprise you're going to get to hey, let's deconstruct gender. Let's let's men can be women, women can be men. Why not, right? It's all part of the same soup is what I'm saying. Uh, and, and and that's the thing that I, I fear some even Christians who agree with Lindsay on this don't seem to understand. So I'm I'm doing my best to explain why folks like myself and others are critiquing this and saying no, 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 no. The LG also, uh, it, it started the whole thing. <laughs> that's it's part of the same soup that's undermining, um, our society. And, and it's, uh, someone posted a flag. It was a tra- rainbow flag and said, embrace tradition. And it said, it said, actually first say reject modernity. And it was this trans, uh, flag with the circle and the intersect circle and all that. And it said, embrace tradition. It was just a regular old, you know, rainbow flag because, you know, that's so 2015, I suppose. That's traditional now. It's, it's crazy. But that's where we are. So James Lindsay, uh, you know, he's an atheist. What, what do you expect? I'm not like, you know, <laughs> I don't know what to say. I mean, I'm not this shouldn't be controversial. I'm not taking anything away from his character or anything else by saying this. It's just who he is. Um, and uh, there, there's been a number of threads. I don't want to go through all of them, but th- this gives you a sample of where the debate was at yesterday. Uh, James Lindsay, and and again, this gets into the whole Christian nationalism thing, but James Lindsay goes, Christian nationalists, fake Christians, right? (laughs) James Lindsay knows who fake Christians are, apparently. Uh, Don't know what queer theory is. Mm, We don't know. We don't know what queer theory is. But they know it's bad and related to gay stuff. So it's just, you know, (laughs) you guys are ignoramuses, I guess. So they claim I'm attacking Christians with it because they act like the woke. How did I do it by distinguishing queer theory from gays and lesbians being gay isn't, and never was a slippery slope. Gay civil rights is not a slippery slope. Believing sexuality, sex and gender are socially constructed. Political phenomena meant to keep some people down, which is reified by fake Christians. Affirming it is a slippery slope. Now I've already explained why I disagree with this logic and I think it's ridiculous. Uh, It's again, it's a slippery slope because of the logic used to employ the LG. It's it's that undermines and gets you to the point where you will be open to embracing the uh, BTQ plus. So, you know, being gay isn't and never was a slippery slope. Yes, it was, and people people with a brain who have just been around for the last thirty years who haven't, uh, you don't have to be a Christian. You're just watching what's happening. You can see how this whole thing has has progressed, how it works. It's not really that much of a mystery, but he's doing the whole condescending thing, like, "Well, we just don't understand queer theory." Now, I'll admit, I haven't read like a whole lot of queer theory, um, but look, I I had to read some of it. I, I went to college. I mean, anyone who goes to college now, pretty much, if you're in a social studies course, you're going to get a dose of queer theory. Um, I had to research it for Christianity and social justice, and um, it's it's kind of like reading critical race theory in a way. It's just more complicated and intricate. Uh, approaches to deconstructing gender, sex—you know—the created order—it <laughs> gets back to that. It's just more nuanced and complicated and educated ways of going about this kind of thing, getting beneath the surface of what's really causing the oppression what our sexuality truly is. I mean, it's—it's—it's it's, it's a waste of time. You read one queer theory book, and you've—you've you've kind of read them all in a way. Now, it—it's—I'm it, sure they. Queer theorists have different ideas and they have different um, approaches and they there's nuance between them. But it's I'm saying for for practically speaking, for the Christians in the audience who are listening to this podcast, when you go read a queer theory book, you kind of know what you're going to get. And it's not a mystery. And it's going to be the same errors in other queer theory books. It's the same violations of our theology and, and violations of the very created order. Nate Fisher got in on this and said, public affirmation of homosexuality is a rejection of natural law. Rejecting natural law is always a slippery slope, and the demand for affirmation of that lifestyle labeling opposition as homophobia leads to totalitarianism. And he's making a great point here. Um, And this is his uh, response to James Lindsay in the tweet that I just uh, showed you. So James Lindsay then responds to him. And uh, let's see if I can get to the right one. This is all confusing a little. But, but, but he says individual liberty with inalienable rights secured by a limited state that governs with our consent in order to secure those rights is not ambiguous. And um, Nate Fisher then says, so re-homosexuality, re-hom- what is the scope of these inalienable rights? What do you believe the Constitution requires? Another good question. And James Lindsay says, cut the bleep and just say you want sodomy laws back. There's no need to introduce dialectical games to try to interfere with people's liberty. Just say you want to have the power to control their private lives and be done with it. And Josh Abatoy from American Reformer says you are afraid to answer Nate's question, and of course. And this got other people local distance, which is another account on Twitter. I, I think the guy claims to be a Christian, too, but he, he got in on it. And state what you want clearly, Josh. Don't attack everyone else. Demand answers. Endlessly criticize. And then refuse to say what you want as a way to avoid criticism. State what you want clearly. So everyone is clear about the extent of the regulation of sexual behavior. And and, and, and so Josh asks, do you agree uh, in the, with the holding Lawrence v. Texas? Okay, so what's going on here? Basically, what you have is an argument. And this gets into the Christian nationalist stuff and cultural Christianity stuff. You have an argument with one group of people and and I, I put vocal distance in there just to say look there's a, there's someone who claims to be Christian who's also in this who's who's b- backing up Lindsay to some extent um th- they are on one side saying well we need we need individual liberty we need freedom of conscience we need freedom of assembly we need uh individual rights all these things and that means sexual degeneracy needs to be permitted in, in in certain cases it just needs to be permitted we need to extend legal protections um and we we can't have local governments and bible belt areas going about banning some of these things we can't have uh gay people quote unquote persecuted i wonder if they say the same about pedophilia you know you know plug in another one of the the more unfavorable uh current sexual ideas and you know see if they they back up the same thing and on all I think the side I'm on, which is I'm on Nate Fisher's side on this, all we're trying to say is like, look, there is an order in creation. We call it natural law. You can call it whatever you want, but there's an order that God set down. Homosexuality is in violation of that, and governments have recognized this. In fact, our founders recognized this. It's it's not in violation of the Constitution to privilege heterosexual uh, marriages, Uh <laughs> as I like to call them marriages and to outlaw homosexual unions that, that because those are not in keeping with that natural law. That's just been the way people thought for a long time. And it's better for our society. We need to recognize reality. That's all we're saying. That's somehow though, that's woke. Now it's woke for us. Apparently, according to, to James Lindsay, we're the ones being woke by saying, cause we want government power apparently to suppress. Now, I just asked the question though. Should government power suppress pedophilia? Should it privilege pedophilia? Should it give them the same access to the same, you know, <laughs> rights or whatever that the heterosexual couples? Or is pedophilia wrong and it has no place in our society? And people who practice that kind of thing should be prosecuted. What? What is it? Um, bestiality. I mean, we could pick other. Uh, I don't want to get into t- so many weird because there's a lot of weird sexual degeneracies out there, but where do you draw that line? It's a good question to ask. It's a really good question to ask and it's that's not unfortunately where the conversation is because it it turns into a food fight where the accusation is maybe you just you're, you're not American I guess. You you just don't believe in liberty. And um yeah, well, you know, the founders would have been with you on that. The if, if, if would, would, would have been with us on this, on this. They lived in a society that I mean, you want to talk about going far, they had sabbath laws. In many of the states you had to be part of a church, uh to be part of the uh government structure or to vote and that kind of thing. So that's where th- I hope that clears it up for some of you so you understand uh where the argument is coming from. Uh there's man, there's there's a lot of comments coming in. Um let I know many of you are anticipating the MacArthur stuff. We're gonna get there, but I need to um let you know about some things with James Lindsay because some people don't seem to See this, and I think it's important to note it in his. And again, I only got like you know five pages or so into this book. One of the reasons is because of this. When when you start reading cynical theories, which is the book James Lindsay wrote with Helen Pluckrose, and I'm not saying not to read it. By the way, I I think this has helped a lot of people. And I think, look, I should say this very clearly: people who are wrong about some things can be right about other things. (laughs) And So. I've i probably even said complimentary things about certain things James Lindsay has said. It's it's been in the context of though for me. Wow, even an atheist gets this. So how come some Christians who self-proclaimed Christians don't? If even an even an atheist, that's a stress on the even, even an atheist can see that this that 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 some of this woke stuff is ridiculous. And so, you know, I, I have no problem with James Lindsay has done some of this research, it's good research. Use it. But just realize his worldview or his his approach, realize his. Uh, his atheism may affect the way that he interprets things. He says in the book, this is not a book that seeks to undermine liberal feminism, activism against racism, or campaigns for LGBT equality. On the contrary, cynical theories is born of our commitment to gender, racial, and LGBT equality and her concern that the validity and importance of these are currently being alarmingly undermined by social justice approaches. Nor will this book attack scholarship of the trans. Sorry, I can't even university in general. Quite the contrary, we seek to defend rigorous, evidence-based scholarship, and, and it goes on. So <laughs> that's in the introduction for his book. Hey, his book's not trying to undermine liberal feminism. This book is. Uh, we we want equality for LGBT people. Now, is that woke? Is James Lindsay woke? He's writing a whole book against wokeness. I mean, I mean, I asked the same question about Owen Strand a few weeks ago. Uh, AD Robles, by the way, took some of the information that I was planning on possibly getting to, and he did a whole video on Owen Strand. And I, I just recommend people go watch that if they want to watch it. I'm not going to talk about it um, any more than this, but I think I'm, I may have said it publicly, or pro- I don't remember if it was private, but I said the same thing about Owen Strand. He, re- he writes a whole book against uh, Christianity and wokeness, against wokeness, right? But then you see him employing some taxic- tactics that would be consistent with woke people, uh, trying to uh, use t- trying to use white nationalism slash racism as a, a smear against Stephen Wolf, and not quite under, not putting the due diligence into understanding what Stephen's saying, but attacking him and attacking him from a place of of ignorance, I would say. And um, and people were, you know, how can this be? And you know, I'd go back to things he wrote in 2018. I mean, he was saying really woke stuff. He was saying these police shootings that we know now they weren't racist police officers. Owen was saying that this was uh, that these policemen were this was part of racism somehow. So you have this issue. And again, nothing personal against Owen. I'm grateful for the good work he's done. Same with James Lindsay. But we have a situation today where some of the leading supposed experts and critics of social justice are representatives of earlier iterations of social justice or at least progressive thought. They're not uh, coming at this from a purely it's not a paleoconservative critique. It's not a uh, it's not what I would think would be a consistent Christian critique. They're coming at this from a place of wanting to preserve um, some kind of a more an order that used to exist. But that order was also a liberal order of some kind, a, a, an order that um, in James Lindsay's case uh, want, wants a, gay marriage and wants abortion rights, and those kinds of things. Owen doesn't believe that, thank goodness. Uh, Owen is solid more on those things. But, um, but wanting these previous incarnations of progressive innovation is not conservative, but it looks conservative. Elon Musk is not conservative. You know, Joe Rogan is not conservative. Uh, I would say Kanye West is not conservative. Bill Maher, uh, these guys who the right wants to champion because they're brave enough, you know, good. I'm glad they're brave on some things. But they're not. They, they, they were. They, what changed was the left got way more radical. That's what changed and left them behind, so, so, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it. Uh, so on LGBTQ stuff, this uh, comes from my friend Sean Graham. Uh, he put this together, which I'm thankful for. Um, James Lindsay in his book. Everybody is wrong about God. Lindsay argues that the LGBTQ plus community has been marginalized and oppressed by traditional religious beliefs and that it is the responsibility of non believers to support their rights on his blog godless in dixie is he does he need to apologize he used the term dixie there uh, on his blog though godless in dixie Lindsay has written numerous posts about lgbtq plus issues including advocating for marriage equality and criticizing anti-lgbtq plus discrimination in employment and public accommodations in a 2019 interview With a Friendly Atheist podcast, Lindsay spoke about the importance of supporting LGBTQ plus youth and promoting acceptance and inclusivity in communities. I don't know why there's a few of these words seem to be misspelled. I think it was a a cut and paste thing uh, formatting issue. But anyway, you you, you can see what uh, what's being said on Twitter. Lindsay has frequently criticized politicians and public figures who oppose LGBTQ rights such as Trump administration's ban on transgender people serving in the military and various state-level bills that aim to restrict LGBTQ rights. In a blog post titled, It's Not About Bathrooms Fighting for Transgender Equality, Lindsay argues that efforts to restrict transgender people's access to bathrooms and other facilities are discriminatory and harmful. He writes, transgender individuals have every right to use the facilities that match their gender identity, and there is no legitimate reason to deny them this basic human right." On Twitter, a little more left, guys. On Twitter, Lindsay has frequently expressed support for LGBTQ rights and criticized those who oppose them. For example, in response to the Trump administration's ban on trans uh, people serving in the military, he tweeted, This is disgusting and reprehensible. Transgender people are just as capable of serving their country as anyone else. So that's, if you want to know what disgusts James Lindsay, it's uh, banning trans people from the military. In a blog post titled, Atheists Should Support LGBT Rights, Lindsay argues that religious beliefs should not be used to justify discrimination against LGBTQ plus community or individuals. He writes, Atheists should stand in solidarity with the LGBTQ community or rather LGBT community and fight against the bigotry and discrimination that they face. In his book, Everybody is Wrong About God. Lindsay argues that traditional religious beliefs have been used to marginalize and oppress LGBTQ plus individuals and that atheists have a responsibility to support their rights. He writes the LGBTQ+ plus uh, community has been oppressed by traditional religious beliefs for far too long. It's time for non-believers to stand up and support their rights. Okay, and this is just a few examples. This is just a few examples. What about on abortion? In his book Everybody Is Wrong About God, Lindsay argues that the debate about abortion rights is often framed in black and white terms, with one side arguing for the sanctity of life and the other side for women's rights. However, Lindsay suggests that the issue is more complicated and that we need to recognize the competing rights and interests involved. I mean, this, guys, this is worse than David Platt, much worse. This is worse than the holistic pro-life stuff, because at least they're saying, well, abortion's wrong. And uh, there's all these other pro-life issues, though, that dilute it. Eventually, Lindsay's not even Lindsey's saying, well, you know, there's it's complicated balance here. Women's rights, babies' rights in a blog post titled The Problem with the Pro-Life Movement. Lindsay criticizes the pro-life movement for its narrow focus on the fetus and its disregard for the well-being of the woman carrying the pregnancy. He writes, the pro-life movement often portrays itself as the defender of life, but in reality, it is indifferent to the suffering of women and the complex ethical and social issues involved in the decision to terminate a pregnancy. On Twitter, Lindsay has frequently criticized politicians and public figures who seek to restrict abortion rights, arguing that such restrictions are harmful and unjust. For example, in response to a Texas law that severely restricts access to abortion, Lindsay tweeted, this is a blatant attack on women's rights and a shameful violation of their autonomy. Uh, just a little more guys, we're going to be done in a second, but I I need to give you this info in a blog post titled abortion is not murder. Lindsay challenges the idea that abortion is morally equivalent to murder. He argues that the concept of personhood is a complex and nuanced one, and that it is not appropriate to assign full moral status to a fertilized egg or early stage fetus. In a 2019 interview with the friendly atheist podcast, Lindsay discussed the importance of reproductive rights and the need to defend access to abortion. He argued that access to safe and legal abortion is essential for women's health and well-being. In a blog post titled The Ethics of Abortion, Lindsay explores the philosophical and ethical issues surrounding abortion. He argues, while there may be some moral concerns about abortion, these concerns must be weighed against the rights and interests of the women carrying the pregnancy. And finally, in response to the Supreme Court decision in June, Medical Services LLC versus Russo, which struck down a Louisiana law that would have severely restricted access to abortion, Lindsay tweeted, this is a major victory for women's rights and reproductive freedom. Access to safe and legal abortion is essential for women's health and well-being and should be subject to arbitrary restrictions. All right. Well, what do you say to that? James is, is he's pro-abortion. OK, just just believe what your eyes are, are, are showing you. Um, doesn't mean he's wrong on all the woke stuff. It means, though, that he's not, number one, he's not a Christian, but he's also not a conservative. And he told me that in 2020, and, and I don't expect anything more from him. He said, look, I'm, I'm not a conservative. I'm, I'm a liberal, uh, liberal to moderate. I'm not, I'm not conservative. And, and he's not. <laughs> His views are not. This shouldn't be controversial, but this is people get offended by this. So I, I think it's important to put the sources out there so you know what we're talking about. Now, having said this, I want to point this out. And I've been wondering whether I should or not. I've been debating and do I want to do this, but it's been a few weeks and I've decided, you know what, I, I'm just going to do this, I think. And, and, I, and I need to qualify it by saying, look, the, I have nothing personal against any of the guys at G3. If you're going to the G3 conference, I hope you have a great time. But we, something needs to be pointed out here because this, the attacks on quote unquote Christian nationalists have gotten so brutal. Uh, in my opinion, from some of the G3 folks who, who you know, honestly, I guess with our pastors and stuff, I do hold them in my mind to a higher standard. Um, at this point, I think it's worth pointing out that James Lindsay was not an offense to them, and, and I just give a few examples here. My understanding is there was stuff on the website, by the way, that was scrubbed. Uh, I'm not sure; I can't verify that, but I've uh, it's been someone told me that. But just online, publicly available right now, you can go and find the episode 42 of the G3 podcast with the G3 symbol right there on the G3 account, The Dangers of Social Justice with James Lindsay. Over an hour long, Josh Bice, James Lindsay, do a whole podcast. Uh, You can see Michael O'Fallon posted this in 2020. A great start to the G3 conference. If you are in the exhibit hall, stop by our booth to register for future G3 events. And don't forget our mini conference with Dr. James Lindsay and Dr. Peter uh, Boghossian tonight at 8 p.m. This is at the G3 conference, guys. Um, they had a mini conference at the G3 conference for James Lindsay and and another atheist, Peter Bagoshian. Um, you have, uh, and I don't know if it, it, if this was that conference or this was another conference. Guys like Michael O'Fallon, Virgil Walker, Josh Bice, all sharing a stage with James Lindsay, which is fine. I'm mean, nothing against that, um, but uh, and, and this may be at the conference that was there associated with G3, but it's it's a Sovereign Nations po- uh, uh, conference. And, and this is somehow, this is, this is what I want to point out. This is somehow all acceptable. This is, this is okay. I know for a fact, some of those guys would never share a stage with me. I know that for a fact. Um, and, and I'm not just saying that because I don't have a source or anything I do, but, um, but they will share a stage with James Lindsay. That's okay. And look, I'm I'm the kind of guy that's like, you know, I'd, I'd share a stage with almost anyone. Like there's very few people. I think I wouldn't want to, wouldn't, i i would like if i was invited i'll, I'll give you this example if i was invited to speak at like the mormon Tabernacle temple or something would i as long as they didn't restrict what i was going to say sure yeah i'll come i'll share the gospel with you you know i'm not gonna like oh, that association oh my goodness well you know we, we have to figure out how um, tight associations need to be before we use them to to smear people or to just associate people um uh, It's okay to have an association where you're speaking at the same conference. It doesn't mean you agree with that person on everything else. If it's a conference on abortion and there's a Catholic speaking, we're talking about abortion. I don't think it means that I adopt Catholic theology, right? It shouldn't be that hard, but I don't want to ever put myself in a situation where I'm compromised and give the impression that I do support that theology. There's a difference there, right? And I don't want to have unequal weights and measures where I say, well, I'll share a stage with a Catholic, but I won't share a stage with an Eastern Orthodox or something like that. It's like, why? you know, th- Or or I won't share a stage with one of my evangelical Christians that happens to be Presbyterian or happens to be something I'm not. Uh, but I will share a stage with a Catholic. That would raise a lot of eyebrows because what you're saying is your priorities are, you, you do have a gate that you're trying to keep, but that gate, that perimeter that you're guarding uh, is, is not a good perimeter because you're keeping brothers out and, and people who might, you have more in common with, and then you're partnering with someone who's pro, in this case, pro-abortion, pro-homosexual, uh, and, and on the left, he is on the left. So um, I, I don't have a problem with, okay, we're gonna have him come and, and, and talk about, we're gonna try to have him educate some people on matters that apparently none of them are capable of educating people on, or weren't at the time. Okay, fine, you know, good, go ahead, do it. But you, you, those lines need to stay in place. And, um, and so I'm not saying G3 has crossed the lines. Uh, I'm not saying, but, 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 but their lines are more restrictive than my lines. And part of the, the public evidence for this is this, what have you seen in the last few weeks about Christian nationalism? I've gone over some of it on this podcast, but what have you seen coming from G3 folks? I'm talking about, I'll just say the names, Josh, Josh Bice, um, Owen Strand, um, Virgil Walker, you know, Scott O'Neill, uh, and now, and, and Nathaniel Jolly, what have you seen coming from these guys? Their articles, but more importantly, their, their, their presence on social media. Oh, it's been a full scale, you know, man, we, we got to gatekeep these guys. These guys are bad. They're there. There's associations of racism and their, their theology is bad. And, and getting as close to the line, it seems as possible with some of them to try to almost imply their heretics. They need to be completely separated from completely, um, denounced. And, and that's just how, how you got to treat these guys. But yet James Lindsay is okay. It's okay to platform him. It's okay to have him on the podcast. It's okay. To recommend his work. That's what, that's what I think is getting to people. That's what, and it's the weights and measures thing. It's like, okay, fine. I have James Lindsay, but, but then don't go like shooting at me in such a harsh fashion. And you know, you're treating me a brother worse than you're treating this atheist over here who who uses all kinds of profane language uh, and you know, it disagrees with you on very fundamental things. So I, I'm going to give you one example of what I'm talking about. Cause this is one of the latest examples, Nathaniel Jolly, who, um, I don't know exactly what his position with G3 is. He's written for G3 though. And he's definitely with those guys and he's been forefront in, uh, critiquing Christian quote unquote nationalism. And look, I don't know a lot about him. He may be a great guy. He may have great theology, he may have great sermons, not saying not to listen to him again, but this is what he's saying about people who claim to be Christian nationalists. He first he, he posts. Well, I'll go through his thread first. He, he's, this is the threat for May 15th. You see, here's the thing. I'm not going to be bullied into being silent by the left or the right. OK, I don't know who's trying to bully him, but he's saying people are bullying him. I warn against Christian nationalism as a movement because I genuinely believe it is a threat to the church, though the true church is not even really threatened. I don't believe most of the people are evil okay that's good but i do believe they are being deceived by the enemy okay how so just look at the fruit division strife turning people away from the primary mission of the church for activism it just is all too clear this is not a move of god but a scheme of satan designed to distract so you know it's like the first beginning of the tweet you know there i don't believe most of the people are evil it's like oh good okay all right you know we can find some common ground and then by the end of it um, yeah, I guess this is not a move of God, but a scheme of Satan to divide the church. There are some wolves in the movement, but most, I think, are true brothers. Okay, well, thank you. I mean, good. Just caught up in the deception for a time. So, so the brothers that are being caught up in Satan de- deception is what he's saying. I know people are afraid to say anything against anyone on the conservative side, but I don't care about that. I care that what I see and i hope i'm wrong is something disguised as good. now i want to say this <laughs> he say like as if this is brave. you know people are afraid to criticize conservatives. no like really i think they're way more afraid to criticize the left. i think it, people are way more terrified to say anything to their like, you're criticizing conservatives is like kicking a cat. you know it doesn't you don't lose any institutional credibility with that. but i digress. uh he says Uh, he hopes he's wrong. It's something disguised as good. And that, in fact, is not good and a threat. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So what do I think is the solution? Simply this, build your life around the local church, resist activism, mentalities, pursue holiness, evangelize the lost, develop a life of prayer, cry out to God for mercy on our nation, and then simply trust him with the results, knowing that ultimately his will is going to be done. I'm not angry at our brothers and I do love them. I'm simply trying to warn them and you. And so, you know, most of this thread I can get behind and say, well, good, you know, and, and it's solutions at the end. I'm like, I'm nothing against that. Yeah. That, I mean, if people live their lives that way, I I think that'd be great. Um, I, I don't want people to be activists either. If what you, you mean by activists is adopt an ideology that replaces religion and craft your life around some political philosophy or something. Yeah, no. Yeah, we don't want that. Um But that doesn't mean that God doesn't have something to say to civil magistrates and that his law doesn't apply and that we shouldn't work in this in this civil and social realm uh, for the the good of uh, God's kingdom and the good of our fellow man. It doesn't you know, there's nothing that says Christians shouldn't influence those things. In fact, there's plenty of things that say we should we should influence uh, not just the life to come by making uh, disciples, but we should be influencing the life here and now. So, um. The thing that I find troubling, though, is the, the whole like, uh, you know, it's like, well, thank you. I guess we're not all wolves, but, you know, we're just doing the bidding of Satan. We're doing the bidding of an angel of light. We're coming. I mean, t- you're not going to get a good faith dialogue. You're, you're on the edge of like you're. you're so, so what happens? Here's, here's my question. What happens if Christian nationalists, uh, self-proclaimed Christian nationalists, decide to not repent of this, that they keep going down this Christian nationalist path? You give them a month, you give them a year, you give them 10 years, and they're still, say, they're Christian nationalists and haven't abandoned any of their positions. Wouldn't you kind of have to be forced into a position of saying, well, I guess they're heretics at some point? Like, I don't know what that point is, but at some point, would you have to say? Like, if they are literally, uh, doctrine from Satan is what they believe, then, you know, how can you say, well, they're good brothers, but they just believe doctrine from Satan? I mean, it's like, you can't really hold on to that for that long, can you? <laughs> like, eventually, doesn't that satanic doctrine have to... Like this is, and it's a bit ambiguous, but this is the, the, this is the breakdown in communication that's happening and why I haven't seen any constructive conversations that I know of between people who are on the G3 side of this and people who are on the quote unquote Christian nationalist side of this. And, and I'll tell you, I've reached out. I, I, uh, I sent an email to, to Josh, to Scott, to Virgil, uh, I think just them but inviting them. Hey, come on a podcast. I'll I'll have the guys who are Christian nationalists. We'll, we'll talk about this, you know, have an adult conversation. Um, it's not the first time I reached out to any of those guys either. So like it's, and I'm not the only one. A lot of people have, I have, and I've, and I've talked about this behind the scenes with other brothers. There hasn't been any productive conversations, but it's because of this kind of stuff. It breaks down into this and and you just can't have communication at that point. Now, Nathaniel Jolly, I wanted to respond to this. He, He had this MacArthur quote he put up here, and this went viral to the point that even political people who aren't involved in Christianity as much were seeing this, not sure what to make of it. And, and it's this quote from it's this clip. It's an edited clip from John MacArthur from a sermon. And this is what John MacArthur had to say.
1: Guess what we don't win down here. We lose. You ready for that? Oh, you were a post-millennialist. You thought we were just going to go waltzing into the kingdom as you took over the world. No. We lose here. Get it. They killed Jesus. They killed all the apostles. We're all going to be persecuted. If any man come after me, let him then I himself. Garbage of prosperity gospel. No, we don't win down here. Are you ready for that? Just to clear the air. I love this clarity. We don't win. We lose on this battlefield. But we win on the big one. The eternal one.
0: There you have it. That's uh, John MacArthur. And, you know, I I think at the time this clip came out, because this is the second time it's making the rounds. I had heard the context and now I didn't have time to go look and find out what the context was, what verse he was commenting on or what situation. Um, But I've listened to a lot of John MacArthur. So I I mean, I I think I know what he's talking about. Um, He's saying something that this is true. And I think this is you don't even have to be a premillennialist to agree with the point that's under under all of this not not the way he phrased it i'm gonna talk about that in a minute but the point that's under all this which is that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church specifically that's what jesus said that his kingdom is not of this world in fact i just was reading this morning john calvin's commentary on this my kingdom is not of this world or else my servants would be fighting and you could read that whole commentary i'm not going to because it's long and you could at the end say is john does john calvin believe in loser theology like, no no, he believes in winning theology, but the winning is going to happen in a spiritual way. Doesn't mean that you don't work towards the good uh, in the temporal world, but we know that there's going to come a time, no matter your eschatology, when the saints will judge the world, okay? When that happens, it is going to be different than the time in which we are living now. We, I think we can all agree on this. People have asked me about my personal eschatology. Maybe I'll get into that a little bit today, but it's not really that relevant And that's that's the main point I want to bring home is it's not relevant. I think there's post-millennialists, especially who view this as an opportunity to and and it probably is working that way to drive, especially younger men uh, to post-millennialism. But I I think that's not the working issue that's at play here as much as uh, not saying it's not an issue at all, but as much as something else, something else is going on. So the main point, I think, behind what MacArthur is saying is the theology he believes, I think, everyone would agree with to some degree now macarthur goes the extra step in this clip uh maybe i don't know if i played it or if it was maybe maybe you just heard it i'm trying to remember where he talks about post-millennialism and he contrasts it with what he just said so it's like well you know you just kind of if people if post-millennials are going to use this uh against against him then i guess they have some they, they they're they free to do that because macarthur is giving them some freedom to do that i guess but i i i don't Think that that's actually the root issue here, and why I don't think that's the reason MacArthur said what he said primarily. I don't think it's because he's a dispensationalist primarily. I think, I think there's something or pre-millennials because that's really the 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 rub. I think there's something else um, going on here, and that's what I want to talk about. I want to survey some other things MacArthur has said just to give you an idea of why I think this to be the case. Here is a clip from this is another edited clip that was used against MacArthur. In fact, I'll show you uh, if I have it up. Matthew Sheffield did this in 2022. He's a progressive talk show host. I believe he said extremist Christians love to claim they're all about religious freedom, but the truth is they hate the idea. And it's a a clip from John MacArthur. Well, what's the clip? Well, the clip is this.
1: Um, I read the other day that one of the evangelical publicists, whatever that is, said he's happy to let us know that the new administration will uphold religious freedom, really. The new administration will uphold religious freedom? Um, I don't even support religious freedom. Religious freedom is what sends people to hell. To say I support religious freedom is to say I support idolatry. It's to say I support lies, I support hell, I support the kingdom of darkness. You can't say that. No Christian with half a brain would say, we support religious freedom, we support the truth." If the new administration supports religious freedom, get ready. Persecution will be ramped up, because the more supportive they are of the devil's lies, the less they're going to tolerate the truth of Scripture. We're not going to lobby for freedom of religion. What kind of nonsense is that? We are in the world to expose all those lies as lies.
0: Now, let me tell you the term that was used for MacArthur at the time when he said this. Ready for it? Christian nationalist. That's right. MacArthur was called a Christian nationalist. And you can go back on Twitter, 2022, and this was a big stir on Twitter. And it's it's an edited clip. Um, but here's what MacArthur is saying. And I remember the context uh, was, I, I think he even referenced, if I'm not mistaken, the ERLC and how they wanted to support religious freedom for a mosque and this kinds of thing. And he's saying that uh, Christians shouldn't support that. Now here's, this is the last MacArthur clip. I want to play a series of clips from John MacArthur. I played this on the podcast before, but it shows you over the years what he said about political engagement. And then I'll, I'll have some analysis for you. So here he is.
1: We to stand up against abortion and gay rights and the ERA and and a lot of other things I really believe that we ought to take our stand on those issues But somehow what happens is in the midst of wanting to take the right and legal means to take up stand and preach and proclaim Against sin we get diverted into the illusion that we can change our country by effecting changes in the political system the reason I don't belong to the moral majority is because I'm not willing to alienate all the Democrats Well what do I gain by that? Because politics isn't the issue. There's no such thing, by the way, folks, as a Christian country and there's no such thing as a Christian government. Well there will be a Christian government in the millennium with Christ ruling. I don't expect my government to act in a Christian way. They have nothing to do with the church. There's no such thing as a Christian government, no such thing as a Christian nation, never has been, never will be until Christ establishes a worldwide theocratic kingdom. All I expect out of my government is that I can get here when I want to get here, not get shot in the process, and that the water comes when I turn the faucet on. We want to do everything we can because we live in a democracy to bring about the best conditions that, that our people in this society may enjoy. There's always the temptation to cross the divide between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness and borrow things from the kingdom of darkness that think that you think are going to aid you. I mean, Jerry Falwell believed that, right? Yeah. That he believed that, um, you know, if we're going to reach the world, we've got to have a Christian president and a Christian Congress and a Christian Senate. That has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And um, what you do in terms of social change, lobbying hard and fast for social change and giving too much of your time to that uh, has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. That's why Paul said we preach Christ and him crucified. And there's a singularity in our focus. We, we do it with love and compassion.
0: Okay, so there's the the clips that I wanted you to see. And of course, there's so much more that you probably could see that I could show you, but I want to give you a sample of what MacArthur said over the years on political engagement, because this is an ethical issue more than it is an eschatological issue. It just is. He criticized Jerry Falwell in that clip. and I mean, it's a pretty stiff criticism that uh, trying to work with the kingdom of darkness. Jerry Falwell, guess what his eschatology is? Yeah, it's premillennial, you know, and it's dispensational too. Um, Dispensationalism isn't even really the issue here. It's premillennialism. It's uh, whether or not there's going to be a um, a tribulation that we have ahead of us before the millennial kingdom—that's really the issue. And you know, Jerry Falwell believed that, and yet he worked—he probably mobilized Christians more than anyone in the last 50 years for political uh, engagements, more than any of the Reconstructionists or you know, post-millennial guys in the 80s, the theonomist guys. And and it's not to knock those guys. I'm just saying that um, he was able to do that. Why was he able to do that? And MacArthur. Uh, critiqued that now you now you heard MacArthur say things like, yeah, we should be involved in in abortion uh, stopping abortion and we should be um trying to make this place the best place that we can live in. and he says these kinds of things, but there's a line that he draws that he thinks Fallwell and others have crossed and and he thinks that they are there's a too tight of a partnership. I wonder what he would think about G three with James Lindsay <laughs> to be honest with you I mean that's that's farther than like, I'm trying to think what Jerry, who Jerry Falwell platformed, that would have. I don't think he platformed any atheists who who believed in abortion and homosexuality. So I mean, Josh Bice and those guys have platformed someone that's much more, uh, I, I would say, against a Christian political framework than uh, anyone that Jerry Falwell ever platformed. So I don't know what MacArthur would think about that, but, um, but but it, so you know, to Nathaniel Jolly's point, I, you know, I I just I wonder, I wonder, but you know. I, this is i'm just going to give you my raw opinion i mean, that's what people want i think and that's you know that's what i'm going to give this is my suspicion and my opinion and this is coming from a more historical i think vantage point uh it's theological too but it's more historical i am concerned about something that i see um i see iterations of in various places in evangelicalism and it's ideological thinking and this has been hard for me to grasp. It's, it's taken me years to understand what that is. I did a whole episode with Carrie Roberts recently on it. Um, it's, it's taken time. But I, I am distracted. I just saw two dogs go past my window and there's no one walking them. Okay. I don't know what to make of that. Uh, squirrel. All right. Uh, I'm just going to keep going. Sorry. Um, I was debating. I'm like, do I stop the video? And then I realized it was a live stream. So here's my concern, though. I, I'm concerned that there's ideological thinking going on in, in various directions. And it's some of it I see in, in the more theonomy. I'm not saying all theonomists are like this, but I can I see it coming out of the theonomy camp sometimes where, you know, as, and I could show you the quotes. Maybe I'll do a podcast on it. But but so many of them were fine and still are fine with massive immigration. Uh, into the country because it doesn't really matter what people look like or what language they speak or their culture, so long as they have the right ideas in their head, right? The ideas of, of applying the law of God and so forth. And I've become more interested in defending a specifically, in my context for where I live, a specifically Anglo Protestant uh, with with Anglo Protestant forms and hymns and symbols and, and all the rest. Uh, it's speaking English, right? This is what I've inherited, and this is what I think that the Lord wants me to steward. And I do see, I, I think that is the way, um, it, it takes me a long more t- a lot more time to explain why I think that is, but, but I think that is the pattern laid down even in the Old Testament. And I think some theonomists, though, they get more ideological. Now, that's just one example. The left is purely ideological. I mean, they take their abstract concept of uh, equality, and, and now it's equity, diversity, inclusion, and they just want to conform everything to that. And they, they have tunnel vision. They can't see outside of that. Everything has a label attached to it that has a quality uh, on it, a level of how much equality or inequality uh, is, is part of that object or that person or that institution. And, 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 and that's all they see is that little label. They, they can't see. And, and we've talked about this before on the podcast. They can't see beyond that. I have a whole chapter on ideology and, and uh, Christianity and social justice. I think it can form on the right, too. I think that um, and we, we have versions of it, and it's not just theonomy. There's, that's, that's one, uh, or, or, and, the, and I'm not saying theonomy is ideological, but, um, but there are many tend towards that direction, and, and there are other versions um, on the right, even the secular right, that are ideological. What does this have to do with MacArthur? Well, I historically think, I have a suspicion that these ideologies are the result of, of modernity, And the giving up of uh, a lot of it gets back to um, a a philosophical metaphysical view that our um, idealism is correct and not realism. So it's an idealist kind of um, rejection of platonic categories, rejection of forms, rejection of um, created order, natural law and those kinds of things for more of like a lens that you put on. And that lens is what determines everything else. Ideas determine everything. And th- this is hard to explain in a very short period of time, but as you watch from the Enlightenment to today, you see in that period, the church, in, and I'm talking America specifically, but this could apply to Europe, reacting to this modernity. And they see it more as a secularism because it is secular. But what they do is they come up with various strategies for maintaining relevance, maintaining because if you remember correctly, the church was had a lot of influence, a lot of influence. It uh, to I mean, it wasn't even a question whether or not during the Reformation, the church should be involved in discipling magistrates. Of course, the church should be involved. Like, what, who else is going to do it? Of course, the church has a, a stake in even the political. Uh, I mean, why was Calvin at the council in Geneva uh, to condemn Servetus? Because he's the pastor. Duh, right? Well, today it'd be like, that's, that's a violation. What are we doing? And that was the world that we came from. It's not the world we're in now, but it's the world we came from. And so incremental changes have happened over the course of now centuries that have pushed the church from the center of community life, from even having influence in community life. And the church is now compartmentalized over, over here somewhere where they do their private thing and, and don't bother any of us because we have we have official religion of really secular humanism. And this meant that pastors had less respect. So in order to regain some of that respect and some of that influence, you had neo-evangelicals, Carl Henry, uh, Harold Ockinga. You had Billy Graham was kind of a evangelical. And they thought, let, let's put institutions out there, like Fuller Theological Seminary, that will train up men for ministry, but it's going to be more than that. They're going to be global, international leaders. They're going to be able to drop them anywhere in the world, or at least where they can speak the language, and they can, they can be leaders. Because they'll know psychology, and they'll, they'll, know, they'll understand the things that the world thinks are important. They'll, they'll, they'll know sociology, right? So that the pastor now becomes a therapist or community organizer, or um, a manager, you know, they'll, they'll be like the tycoons of the business world that are so respected. That'll be our pastor. That's how we're going to regain influence. And I, I I would say that Christianity today is is this way. I'd say gospel coalition to an extent comes from this. Um, And again, it's not bad to obviously uh, listen to this podcast. It's not bad to want to exert influence, but it's, it's again, it's the behind it. What's the thinking behind it? We're gonna do it by being like them. We're gonna do it by we're gonna have the best philosophers and the best, uh, the best of the psychologists, and they're gonna be Christians and they're gonna be pastors and they're gonna we're gonna regain respect. Then you had the fundamentalists. And the fundamentalists uh had more of a bunker mentality that, you know, it's all going bad. We need to start Bible in institutions, which they did, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, and and that's about it. You know, we're uh we're going to we'll have some influence in the world, but. That influence is going to be from where we're sitting in our church. Uh, It's going to primarily be sharing the gospel. And in fact, we shouldn't probably, some of them got weird with things like we shouldn't even go to a theater. And and some of them got into points where they said that was a sin. We shouldn't be involved in this dirty, rotten culture. Politics is dirty and rotten. Why would any Christian want to be involved in that? Very few fundamentalists running for public office and that kind of thing. Now, the fundamentalists, they, they happen to be uh, dispensational, which means they happen to be, most of them, not all of them, by the way, but they happen to be mostly premillennial. Um, they also happen to be Arminian, most of them. Uh, now, again, not all of them. There's, there's, there, there's some differences even in fundamentalism. It's not monolithic in every way. Jerry Falwell came out of fundamentalism. And he was a branch uh, he, he represented a branch of fundamentalism influenced by revivalism of the 19th century. I think that saw the church as salt and light in the culture, but also wanted to build these alternative institutions to impact the culture. That's why Liberty University exists. So it wasn't let's go infiltrate the local state university or let's go you know make them better or something. It was we'll start our own university over here, Liberty. Uh, we'll start our own organizations for political organization. Uh, moral majority, and and it'll be distinctly Christian, and and that, and that gets into we'll have our own Christian movies, we'll have our own Christian this, we'll have our own Christian that. Okay, so so this this differs from the neo evangelicals who are obsessed with wanting to ingratiate themselves somehow to the center of power. They they really want that acceptance from the world somehow, uh, and, and uh, from from fr- from those who are quote unquote experts. And, and so this has been a conflict in evangelical circles, you know, between neo-evangelicals and fundamentalists for a long time. It's been there. And historically, you can see it w- w- when it came about, mostly during the uh, turn of the century, when we had modernity coming in and all these ideas challenging the veracity of scripture. And, it w- and, and this was the reaction to it. You had these two reactions. They're not the only two, but they're the major two in American evangelicalism. Okay, back to MacArthur. <laughs> Where does MacArthur stand in this? This is how I read MacArthur. When you look at all the clips that I showed you, you see, you see some differences, especially between what he says earlier and what he says today. There's some things that are the same. There's, some, there's consistency with MacArthur. But there's some things that are different. And the things that are different are circumstances have changed. Circumstances have changed covid was one of the big ones but you saw this already with with trump T- macarthur never endorsed uh, political candidates i he ne- until donald trump i think that might have been the first one where he actually went out publicly and said yeah i'm gonna vote for donald trump and th- it's because things got so bad they got so bad i think macarthur is actually the um coming out of that more fundamentalist kind of mentality And he was even, there was even more of a fundamentalist mentality than him, than he, than with Jerry Falwell, less revivalistic, uh, more Calvinistic, but he comes out of this fundamentalist more, even calls himself a fundamentalist, but this, we're going to have institutions uh, that are uniquely Christian. And that's where we put our resources. And you know what the world does. We don't really care all that much, you know, I guess vote, but Uh, I remember I was at, uh, this was in 2011. I remember it was Jesse Johnson. Uh, I don't know why I remember this because it's so long ago, but I was at a, uh, maybe it was 2010. I I was at Grace Community Church because I used to go there, uh, John MacArthur's church. And um, Jesse Johnson gave this whole presentation to the college ministry and basically said, look, you know, politics is no more important than sweeping the floor. And I went into him after it. I said, "I'm I'm interested in politics. I mean, what do you, what do you mean? Like being a janitor is, is just as, important as being a politician? I don't think so. And he's like, yeah, it's just a way to pay for, it's just a job so you can pay for your, your ministry life. And I remember he, he made an exception for William Wilberforce. He said, well, if you did something, a noble is William Wilberforce though. I mean, that, that could be more important. And I just remember thinking, I was so confused at the time because I was trying to figure all this out. And now I realize, going back, I'm like, oh, that was that fundamentalist mentality that, that existed. Is that uniquely a dispensational thing? I don't believe so. A lot of dispensationalists have that idea, but there's a lot of dispensationalists who are also with the religious rights. And there's also a lot of charismatics that are dispensational. So you can't boil it down to just that. But it does seem that in fundamentalist circles, th- this is more the case. It's just that how their culture has been. Um, you see something similar in Anabaptist circles. I remember in 2011, I went uh, out to lunch with someone, I won't say who, but it was uh, an elder at Grace Community Church. And I asked him about this. I said, why is MacArthur saying things like, you know, the only thing he expects from the government is his faucet can come on. I mean, and that he won't get shot at. And he, isn't there more to it? And he says, look, MacArthur, because I think he's affected, impacted by Anabaptist thought on this. Now, I don't know if he is or not, but the the fundamentalists and the Anabaptists are have a similarity uh, sometimes on this point. Today, in 2023, John MacArthur, as we speak, I just talked to uh, someone last week about this. Uh, they, they're merging Masters University with a law school. They're incorporating a law school because MacArthur believes we need Christian lawyers. Uh, MacArthur took a stand against the government during COVID. Um, MacArthur is taking all kinds of bold stands in the social, in the political, in the civil arena. He hasn't changed his eschatology. What has he changed? I think he's changed I think that mentality, and it it doesn't mean he's changed on the uh, theological fundamentalism, which we would all hold to, but that cultural fundamentalism, I think he's changing on that. That's my, that's, look, don't, this is John's raw opinion, okay? I don't have a source that I'm going to to say that, and if people out there, you know, want to say, John, John, you can't say MacArthur's changed. Yeah, that's fine. You know, we all change. I don't think that's wrong. I don't think that's bad. I think MacArthur, I think the changes I've seen in MacArthur are for the good, um, but he's always said that we should be somewhat involved but i think now he's more willing to say you know what the pastors do need to get out there in the civil realm and provide application for their people part of discipleship so they know how to vote what to who to vote for what issues to vote on all of that um so i don't think it breaks down to a. a I think it's more ethical than it is eschatological e- ethically what is the responsibility of the pastor ethically what is the role of the church in society? Those are the questions that are being asked, and they're very important questions. The accusation that that's loser theology, I just don't know that that's particularly helpful because there's a lot of people who have a premillennial understanding who, and, and, and I'll, I'll just get into myself for a moment. I would call myself an undeveloped premillennial. In other words, I don't know exactly I'm unwilling to give um, to hold to an exact position on on everything uh, in in premillennialism, whether that's historic or I mean the the distinctions now are historic and dispensational. But I realize historically these are modern, more modern distinctions. Uh, These these are terms that um, have been imposed on the past. Uh, Kiliasm, or just you know now some people call it historic premillennialism, but just it it was a very undeveloped premillennialism that the early church had. And that was the oldest eschatological view. And that's what I'm sympathetic to. And there's for a few reasons for it. One is because it is the earliest view, as far as we know. Uh, but um, I also, I mean, I was just even reading this morning, the Davidic covenant. I'm, I'm, I, I also want to, uh, to the best of my ability, interpret scripture in a grammatical, historical way. And I am way on the forefront of, you know what? We got to be involved. And so when I think MacArthur said that, I, I don't think it was helpful. Um, I don't think calling his theology loser theology is is helpful either. But uh yeah, that'll take the wind out of the sails of young men. I think it's this, I think it's that it's coming from that fundamentalist culture. And behind that fundamentalist culture is a certain kind of pietism. And so you're I know many of you are waiting for me to get to that word, but now I'm there. There's a certain kind I didn't want to start with the word because that you know, some people <laughs> you're just gonna reduce it all down to pietism, John. I wanted to give you the long view. Um I think behind fundamentalism because behind revivalism and even getting into some puritanism and if you trace the lines back that's where it goes it's not all puritan but there's a certain vein of puritanism that you can that traces right into revivalism that traces right into fundamentalism um and and there's a pietism connected to that that pietism will show up in other places by the way but but specifically in fundamentalism the pietism is this separation this, this very tight separation and this, you know, tight and MacArthur's not even, uh, it's not as crazy as some of those. He's not crazy at all, but he's not, he's not like some of the crazy guys who will be like, Oh, you spoke at a conference with that person. I won't associate with you that associationalism that, uh, inhabits some of that. Um, they, they got certain segments of of that movement just got really into that separateness. Seeing the church as such a different institution. is not even part of the culture anymore in a temporal sense. Uh, it's only a spiritual reality, and that's it. And it's like you got to remember, you live in a place. There's there's a there's a zip code, right? You you got people around you. They're tangible people, and and um and I think reality's hitting us upside the face now because it's coming and knocking on our door and saying you can't do this, you can't do that, and now's where the rubber meets the road. And people are realizing, well, that doesn't work. It worked for a long time when the government did leave the church alone. Principle pluralism sounds fine if the government leaves you alone, but when you realize, actually, eventually it's going to be pagan, this is just a holding spot. It's not. It's going to eventually, uh, people are going to worship a new God, and that's going to be ensconced in a state religion, and that's, un, that's inescapable. The state's going to recognize some authority. That's the time they, they're going to come for you, and that's when people start to wake up. We're at the beginning of that. We're at the beginning of it, and people are waking up, and they're saying, we got to fight. As Christians, we got to do something about this. Um, so I, I think that explains MacArthur. To, this is my understanding, at least. I respect MacArthur a great deal. Um, I, I think he's actually, I think, I think his theology is actually winning theology because what he's saying is that we win. The church, the gates of hell don't prevail against the church. And he says it, we win up there. Well, I think we'd make a lot of, we, there's a lot of victories down here before that happens. And whether you think there's a seven-year tribulation coming or a tribulation at all, or you think there's going to be, you know, whatever you think is going to be. Here's the one thing that's constant. None of us know what's going to happen in the future. I don't care if you're post-millennial. You, you could have a period of great you know, persecution in this country. Um, and it may maybe it's not the Great Tribulation, but hey, you, America's gone. There's nothing in scripture guaranteeing America's going to be here or you're going to be here. Um, what do we do? We work towards, yes, making our communities better. Um, but we, we have a higher calling of working towards discipling people, um, working towards the kingdom of God, working towards, uh, making sure that people are going to be in a right relationship with him, that they're saved individuals born again by the spirit of God. So that's, that's maybe long winded. We've been going an hour and 16 minutes, but, um, I, I really just felt like I needed to say that. And I know it's more complicated. It's, it's easier just to slap on a label. And if you want to do that, if you want to just say, you know, he's a Gnostic or he's a pietist, or he's, you know, he's a, he's just dispensational, you know, that, and that's, yeah, that's fine. You can d- d- try to describe or explain this however you want, um, but I have a lot of respect uh, for Doctor MacArthur, d- I should say, Pastor MacArthur. And I, I, I don't think it's a loser theology. You know, it, it's every eschatology has the same dilemma when it comes to okay, what do we do in the world now? There, there's some look. There, there's even post millennials who will be think that, well, I don't really have to do much. <laughs> It's it's inevitable. The kingdom's coming. Um, There's a lot of and there's a lot of the new apostolic reformation type people out there, as as many in the chat have been pointing out. So um, I I don't want to I don't think this uh, I'm going to cap it with this. I don't think this whole Christian nationalism or cultural Christianity or Christian involvement in politics debate is an eschatological debate. I don't think it's actually even a debate over theonomy. I think people some would like it to be that. I think the people at G3 would like it to be that, to be honest with you, some of them. I don't know of all of them, but um, they, they critique millennialism and Christian nationalism in the same breath. And I just don't think that's the case. Uh, I don't even think Stephen Wolf, uh, who, who wrote the book, is post millennial. It's, um, it's more of an ethical thing. And it really comes down to what is the role of the pastor? What is the role of Christians to, to be salt and light in society? What does that look like? Um, maybe some eschatologies, you know, have an m- extra motivation or something because of that, but, but that's not where, where it really comes down to. All right. Well, that's, um, maybe not comprehensive, but hopefully helpful. Um, lots of people weighing in. If you have a question, I'm only going to stay on for probably another three minutes or so. So, uh, ask your question now and I'll do what I can. So my, <laughs> I think this is a question whether or not MacArthur's a boomer con. Yeah, I will not. Uh, I, I reserve the right to be, um, to remain silent on that. I mean, look, it'd be hard not to be when you're grew up in his time, in his era. Uh, you're gonna, you're used to that. You're used to thinking of the United States as a nation and an indivisible one and, uh, America rah, rah, rah. And, uh, and uh, anyway, I mean, I I don't know privately what he's like, but you know, I don't know, maybe, um, uh, a lot of fundamentalists, by the way, uh tend to be like that. MacArthur's a different. Again, there's 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 divergence here. But I remember going to uh Thomas Road Baptist Church where Jerry Falwell used to pastor uh on uh, the fourth of July Sunday and it's like, oh man. <laughs> oh man. Like I'm like, I'm not against like you know some patriotic displays here and there, but like woof, woof. Um little much sometimes. Uh so yeah. Well, someone says, wait, I thought G3 was supposed to be a Christian conference. To have an atheist there as a speaker makes no sense. You know, And, and in their defense, I don't know. I, there may have been somewhat of a separation. I don't like a breakout where he was, like a mini conference attached to it. I don't know exactly. But but yeah, I mean, he's been on the podcast and stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, this is a conversation for a longer podcast about you know when do you platform and when do you not platform someone who is an atheist like that? I mean, look, I platform people on this podcast who I don't agree with on things, right? I mean, there is a certain level of disagreement, but you're, you're approaching a common purpose. Um, but then to, to wag your finger at Christian Nationalists after platforming an atheist, that's the weird thing to me. Um, yeah, someone's saying I'm, I'm confusing G3 with other things that James has spoken. I don't think so. No, I mean, I just showed, uh, if, you, if you were here at the beginning of the live stream, I showed uh, evidence of that, that, J- that there is an association there. You might want to go back and, and just check that out um uh not many questions but a lot of statements coming in uh yeah white someone says white and wilson making an eschatological thing yeah i think that's maybe true to to an extent i think here's the thing i'll just say this too i think a lot of people in their personal journeys if you (laughs) that sounded so (laughs) so emergent in their personal journeys not on the uh the journey we're all on no so many people in their development um in realizing we need to be involved politically and socially it accompanied for some of them a realization in their minds that postmillennialism was the way to to look at things and and they and they think the two are for them in their minds the two are connected and so i'm just saying it's not like that for everyone at all um look i i speak as someone who was very influenced by greg bonson i read I read a lot of the Christian theonomy and reconstruction stuff. I still recommend a lot of that stuff for certain things, but I realized it could be an ideology. Both theonomy and postmillennialism could function as an ideology. And I started to use it that way. And I realized how, how it, it, it wasn't good. It wasn't good for me. You didn't want to be around me. Uh, even personally speaking, um, it, it, it becomes like a lens by which you see everything and everything reduces down to like post-millennialism and whether or not it's post-mill or not, you know, that post-mill and it's like, okay. Um, that's like, if you like post-millennialism, that's fine. Like I look, some of my best friends and the people that I think are great on these topics are post-millennial. I love, look, I love, uh, I think 80s post-millennial. I love 80 Robles. I love Joel Webin. Um, you know, I I love uh, many of the things James White's put there. He's influenced me. Like, and and he didn't used to be that way. But you know, these guys are post mill, and I, I'm fine with you know no problem there. I don't get into arguments over it because I just don't think it, it's as important. But for them, I think it does. It makes a difference in their mind as far as like how they approach. This is part of the 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 fire under them to get involved in social things. Is well, you know, we we gotta uh, be part of the 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 kingdom the that God's. Um, wants to implement and that kind of thing so yeah i mean i get that and and but that's not the 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 root issue with the christian nationalism debate and you know i i don't i don't put those things on as ideological glasses that i see all the other things through you could do this with calvinism you know everyone knows the cage stays calvinist well that's that's a good example of someone who's ideologically driven they can find calvinism in any verse in the bible and it's like that's not that's not what the verse says, guys. I can see how you could relate it in three steps to Calvinism, right? Um, that That's ideology, ideological thinking. So um, hopefully this will be, be clear to some of you and, and, and maybe put you on a, a journey to understanding ideology and how that works and all of that. But um, uh, I just don't think it breaks down into eschatology. Not saying eschatology isn't important. It is. It is. Uh, all right. Last question, John, is there no correlation between thinking rapture is coming in the next 10 seconds and thinking that we shouldn't work towards building a more godly society? Well, he, here's the thing. If you think it's coming in the next 10 seconds and that it's inevitable, then sure, you're going to be selling. All, I don't know what you're going to be doing. Actually, you're you're not going to be getting involved politically. You're going to be, I guess, spending your last remaining time with your family or something. Um, yeah, without question. But but again, that you can be premillennial and it's not again that this isn't dispensationalism this is just pre, all premillennialism would believe that there, there's a coming tribulation of some kind um if that is the case and and um and and and, and I, certain versions of pre, you know whether it's mid-trib post-trib pre, whatever you know either way that there's there's some kind of a rapture that they think is going to happen um and and you know even if if not that you know there there's there's events that have to take place before the millennial kingdom gets here. And you'll either probably get wiped out or you'll be raptured out. So one or the other is going to probably happen. If you have that mentality that's happening right now, sure, that can affect things. But that's not all premillennialists at all. That's not, that, that's not what um, even historically premillennialists have. Ha- th- this seems to, again, come out of um, a, a modern framework in which we have a lot of dystopian novels in which we're scared about what the modern state is doing. I mean, that's, you read the left behind books and that's what you get. Uh, look at all this technology that's increasing in the surveillance state. And, you know, what does that mean? I mean, it's, it's fear. And, and you see in the secular world, all these dystopian stuff. And so you're seeing it also a parallel, I think in the Christian world, um, where the, their theology is, is, I think that's part, I don't saying it motivates all of it, but I think that's part of it, to be quite honest with you. So that's the mentality. Um, and and yeah, I would say reject that because you don't know when it's going to happen. Even if you're pre-mill, even if you're a dispensationalist, you don't know. And if you're post-mill, you don't know. If you're a you don't know exactly how and when it's all going to pan out. So what do you do today? You live like a Christian. And what does that mean? That means that you uh, follow everything Stephen Wolf said. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it means that you you... Exert the influence of Christ into every arena that you're in, including the political and social arena. Not hard, guys. Not hard. Well, God bless. Hope that um that helps everyone understand some things. I think eschatology matters, but I think uh living in an ethical way that pleases Christ matters even more. And um God (laughs) now I got the people who are (laughs) who are really against the rapture wing and the scho yeah, the schofield. Yeah, I know, I know, guys. I understand the history. All right, I gotta go. God bless. More coming. Bye now.